Welcome to FIA Speaks, a podcast at the centre of the futures, options and listed derivatives markets and the interesting people who work in them, run exchanges and regulate this industry. FIA's mission is to support open, transparent and competitive markets, protect and enhance the integrity of the financial system and promote high standards of professional conduct. Please note we have a lengthy disclaimer that I encourage you to listen to or read at FIA.org. But in short, this podcast is meant to be informative about this industry and should not be relied on for investment advice. And now, here's your host, FIA President and CEO, Walt Lucan. Welcome to FIA Speaks, a podcast dedicated to the major topics and interesting people that make up the futures, options, and clear derivatives marketplace. This podcast is available at FIA.org, on Apple iTunes, and at the Google Play Store, or wherever you might get your podcasts. This is being recorded at FIA's annual International Derivatives Conference in London. And in this episode, we sit down and talk with Osaka Exchange CEO, Hiromi Yamaji. Welcome, Yamaji-san, to FIA Speaks. Well, thank you very much for this opportunity. And I'm very glad to, uh, to, to, to be on this program. Well, just to give a little bit of, of your background, you're president and CEO of Osaka Exchange in Japan and a member and a board of director at the JPX. Um, you've spent a lot of your career at Nomura in banking and hold a degree from Kyoto University as well as University of Pennsylvania. So mm-hmm. you've spent some time in the United yes, States. Yes, for two years at the business school, yes. At the Wharton School. Yes. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, before we get into the Osaka Exchange and the issues you're, you're dealing with there, let's talk a little bit about your career and how you got to, to be running a major exchange in Japan. So walk us through what led you uh, to the Osaka Exchange. Oh, sure. Um, uh, I was born in Hiroshima, in the western part of Japan, and spent uh, 18 years uh, inside of uh, Hiroshima. And uh, I, I, I joined the uh, junior high school and high school kind of six years program. It's a Jesuit uh, school called uh, Hiroshima Gakuin, which is a sister uh, kind of a uh, school for uh, Sophia University in Tokyo. And uh, I got into the um, uh, Kyoto University, and then I spent four years in Kyoto. And after that, I joined uh, Nomura. And after, uh, after three years of uh, Nomura's career, I was sent to I Wharton graduate the University of Pennsylvania under the um, um, study abroad scholarship uh, of uh, Nomura, uh, Nomura. And I spent two years over there, and uh, it was probably the kind of most extensive study I, I did during my life. And, uh, but you know, it was a very good experience for me because uh, I got used to all the professional um, tech, uh, technical terms about the finance, about the banking uh, during those two years period. And also, uh, I, start, I started playing golf when I was uh, in Philadelphia um, because, you know, because I studied very hard, so I needed, I needed to have a uh, time to relax. So uh, one thing was uh, um, I played golf, and also the other thing that I traveled during the recess, I mean, uh, in uh, spring recess or summer recess, I went down to um, uh, Mexico or other places in the U.S. And I came back to um, uh, Nomura's Tokyo office and then spent two years at the International Finance Department. And then I was sent to our New York office. And I spent there for six years. 
And uh, those are the kind of the times that the uh, liberalization of yen. So uh, we um, invented many different kind of uh, financial vehicles which give a very attractive uh, uh, cost of capital for US, in US issuers, uh, US and Canad Canadian issuers. And I was in charge of all the um, accounts like Government of Canada. And also I was covering at that time uh, Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, all of those uh, um, um, state-sponsored agencies. And uh, I provided probably more than eight billion or more, close to 10 billion dollars worth of financing for those uh, governmental agencies. Then I came back to Tokyo. I, um, I engaged in um, a Monday advisory business. At that time, Nomura made an investment into a Wasaste Imperia. Uh, then it was a very leading and also very professional boutique house led by Bruce Wasaste and also Joe Pereira. And uh, I spent uh, two years at the WP New York office. And it was uh, it's a quite interesting environment. It was a kind of a zoo. Uh, you know, all, all the predators <laughs> in the WP office. I love it. And I have, uh, I have been keeping a very good relationship all the, all the professionals uh, that time I worked with. It was, was it intimidating, though, to be as a young Japanese student to come to the United States to be exposed to a difficult business school while also, uh, I'm going to assume it would be difficult also with the language barrier, too. Mm -hmm. And you, you seem to have survived and been resilient in all of that. So that's, that must have been quite an experience. Well, you know, one thing I, I got used to is that, you know, you forget to speak in the perfect English. It's not... It's, it's not possible for us to speak in uh, perfect English. Nor for me. <laughs> well, yes, proper, to speak in a proper English is very difficult. Yeah, yes. And uh, for us, it's, you know, I studied English uh, you know, after I got uh, 12 years old, so it's almost impossible for me to speak in native English. So, however, uh, you know, if you would like to, if you would like to have a strong intention to, to, let, to, to let them understand what you are talking about, that's, you know, it's a human beings to human beings. It's, you know, they do understand what you are trying to say. So that's what I got to when I was uh, studying at Wharton. So uh, whenever I have occasion to talk to a uh, native Americans or British people, um, you know, I have intention to, um, to communicate with them whatever I would like to tell them. So. Uh, once you have a substance to tell them or to communicate with them, I think, you know, they do understand. And if they don't understand, that's their problem. Right. That's, right, that's, right. A, that's kind of, you know, um, determination I made. Well, you have excellent English. I, I think <laughs> well, you do a very good job. So it's never a problem communicating with you. But, I, you know, you were exposed to the global financial industry, it sounds like, in your banking career. Has that influenced your career at the Osaka Exchange and how you look at the global derivatives industry? I think you know um, I was not trading side of uh, of a bank. I mean, of a securities firm, and when I was uh, approached by uh, Mr. Uh, Andy Saito, then uh, CEO of uh, JPX, 
to become a president of Osaka, I thought it was a quite a challenge for me because I'm not trading side. I, I know the derivatives, but I, I don't trade derivatives at all. So, uh, but at the same time, you know, I thought it was a good challenge for me. And uh, I was willing to uh, give a another challenge uh, during my business life. So um, uh, I accepted the offer and, and joined the JPEX as a board member and also became a uh, president of Osaka. And after I became a president of Osaka, I found that this business is uh, really, really international. And obviously, uh, derivatives, um, as a nature, it's an it's a international product. So, uh, I mean, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a pleasant surprise after I joined Osaka that it's so internationalized. And, you know, actually I have to visit, like, uh, you know, investors or partners or, you know, or participants all over the world at least seven or eight times a year. And half of them I'm visiting Asian cities, half of them I'm visiting the U.S. or European cities and uh, it's very very exciting and we we see you at a lot of our events dealing <laughs> right. with clients um, mm -hmm. around the world mm -hmm. and um, it's it's like you said it's a very international community now we're getting back to jpx and osaka um, some of our listeners may, may not be familiar with the the organization and how it's structured can you walk us through uh, JPX, the holding company, and Osaka Exchange, and what types of products are traded there? Yeah, um, um, as you know, JPX was established through the merger between a TSE, a Tokyo Stock Exchange, and Osaka Securities Exchange back in 2013. And then after the merger, we um, established a holding company, and also we streamlined uh, our business into the uh, four different kinds of business lines. One is, the I mean, one is the cash equity business, which now TSE is taking care of, and the derivative business, which is for Osaka, and uh, um, a clearing business, JCC, and the regulation, which uh, uh, we call them R, regulation, for the market surveillance. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, so those are the four main business lines. And uh, um, because of the, because, you know, before the merger, TSE and the OSC had, had uh, all those four um, businesses under their umbrella. So after the merger, we streamlined the business, and so we achieved uh, quite a lot of uh, cost reduction because of the merger. I think that's a very good effect. And um, we have a three years midterm uh, business plan. So now six years has passed, and this year is the first year for the third. Uh, midterm business plan and the first uh, midterm business plan management plan was for the uh, to get um, to materialize the uh, good effect of the merger in other words a cost reduction and uh, we achieved it and the second year that we tried to um, try to create a new businesses for us for the top line of the of the merged merged business and third year I think it's a very uh, important area for us because we focus on our original business as a uh, market operator and uh, we'd like to be a uh, um, uh, investment into the future businesses including fintech so those are the kind of things we have and but because of the merger we now could have uh, 
uh, those kind of business plans. Um, in data services, I know uh, talking to other international exchanges, a, a big portion of their revenues come from data mm-hmm. services. Of the four business lines that you talk about, where does data services fit? Data services is inside of the holding company. It's part of the holding yes. company. Yes, and uh, there is a uh, independent department which is taking care of for the both derivative business and also uh, um, cash equity business. And uh, yes, uh, we are trying to we are trying to mater- I mean the, uh, materialize the um, uh, the business out of those data services business. Yeah, it's very important part of the business. And of the Osaka exchange, what are the the major products that are, are have the most volume on that exchange? As of today, uh, our main products are equity indexed uh, futures uh, product like a two to five and two to five mini. And the most actively traded is um, uh, two to five mini, which is about uh, a total number of uh, trading volume. Last year was uh, 388 million contracts, and out of it, uh, we have about 260 million for the uh, two to five mini. And so the, the, the TOCOM merger that has been discussed and is underway will allow you to trade other types of derivatives products as part of that discussion. So walk us through, you know, where are we with the TOCOM merger and, you know, what's the timing elements of, of yeah. that finalizing? I think, you know, Japanese uh, commodities derivatives business has been a long-term slump. Well, if you look back in the past 10 years, since the 2008 or something like that, TOCOM's trading volume becomes a 20% of that, that what it was uh, 10, 11 years ago. And while the uh, world global uh, commodities derivatives market has grown five times than it used to be, so um, uh, this is because of uh, you know some of the reasons. But you know, uh, in order to turn it around, we need to have something very substantial, and we share the view that in order to revive uh, Japanese uh, commodities market. Uh, we means the uh, Tokom and uh, JPX share the view that uh, in order to revive uh, this commodities market, we need to consolidate uh, the both businesses into one. And so the Tokom will now become part of the exchange group of JPX yes. trading energies, and and your your exchange will trade some of the, the metals products. Is that yes. correct? Yes. Um, so back to the story. I mean, to bit talk about the schedule that um, at this moment, uh, we are in a due due diligence stage for the TACOM, and we will fix the price of acquisition uh, by the end of June. And then uh, we will start a tender offer for TACOM shareholders uh, at the beginning of July, and it takes about a couple months, maybe two months. So uh, we will complete our acquisition uh, probably um, uh, sometime in uh, October this year. And so Tokom becomes a 100% subsidiary of JPX. And then after that, we transferred some of the products to uh, OSE. And those products other than um, uh, energy related. So um, newly established uh, market like uh, uh, power futures market will be in Tokom. And also um, uh, the current Crude oil futures uh, is, will, will stay in Tokom, but other products like uh, gold, um, platinum, precious metal, uh, silver, and also rubber, and also uh, agricultural products uh, would come to Osaka. 
And, and similar to the United States that has a bifurcated regulatory system, that you also have several regulators that you may be dealing with. I, I know during these discussions there were some dis discussions early on about potentially combining regulators. It sounds like that's not occurring, but can you walk us through how Medi and the JFSA regulate your products as well as the TOCOM products? Yeah, in, in case of Japanese regulatory authorities, a bit different from a U.S. one. In the U.S., that all the cash equity is uh, controlled by SEC and all the derivatives business are controlled by uh, CFTC. But in Japan, uh, for the, all the financial um, products, including cash equity plus derivatives, financial derivatives are, control, are regulated by FSA, Financial Services Agency, and all the uh, commodity derivatives are uh, regulated by uh, METI, um, Ministry of Economy, Trade, and Industry. And uh, there is a kind of uh, uh, regulatory silos of those two uh, ministries. Uh, but then, you know, as I said at the panel, that you know, uh, uh, now METI is very keen to establish a, a new um, energy market, and also before that, they would like to liberalize the power market, and they established a uh, spot market as well as a forward market, and as a completion of uh, liberalization, they would like to establish a uh, futures market for power market. And uh, they try to make it happen. However, a lot of potential um, participants as well as uh, you know, uh, investors were quite reluctant uh, to join the newly created market under TOCO. Mm -hmm. And because of the uh, sus sustainability problem, I mean, issue for uh, TOCO. So uh, METI realized that it's not a good idea, might be, to, uh, to, uh, to for, for have uh, TOCO operate uh, market as, as TOCOM as it is, is not a good in entity to operate uh, the market. So, um, uh, and FSA has been, uh, you know, uh, supporting us, supporting the idea of consolidated exchange very much. Mm -hmm. And then all the participants or all the FCMs were also keen to support that kind of idea to, to be materialized. So, you know, um, everybody got together and created a new uh, opportunity for us, and uh, that is now happening. Turning to a different topic, and this was discussed quite a bit during your panel this morning, uh, is China. Um, yeah. So in the region, I guess I was surprised in your answer to hear how you're working with China as a partner mm -hmm. and finding ways that uh, of providing access and expertise to the Chinese markets. Um, and uh, instead of being rivals. And, and uh, so I, I want you to talk a little bit of, of how you came to that sort of uh, point of view. It was interesting to me. Well, you know, um, China, uh, it's a little bit too big you know, for us to say it's a rival. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think we'd like to make them as a, a kind of a partner for us. And also, you know, um, uh, after the China shock, I like, you know, CFEX. China Financial Futures Exchange had a very difficult time. Still, they have a difficult time, but uh, I think, you know, we, Osaka, had a similar kind of difficult times in about 20 years ago, right after the um, uh, collapse of the Japanese bubble economy. So, you know, we, we have a kind of a sympathy for them uh, to overcome uh, these kind of difficulties. 
And uh, also, um, Chinese market is a huge market and a very attractive market. Many different kind of investors, um, including you know, many numerous number of individual investors over there. So everything is very active and very very attractive for us. But but at the same time, so as I told, as I said in the panel, that you know, we'd like to be, you know, fresh, flourishing with China, uh, in cooperation. That, that's the kind of way we would pursue uh, the relationship with China. So that kind of you know, initiatives like a China, Japan, China, ETF, Connect, uh, kind of things are you know, very, very important steps for JPX to start with. Well, China's, or I mean, Japan has always had a very open economy, cross-border uh, trading over the many years. Um, so I think you're a great model for how they can open up and develop their markets. Um, I was in China two weeks ago, and I'm still surprised at how, um, how, how progressive they are in wanting to open their markets because it, it's in the best interest of China. I think they recognize that through, you know, President Xi has, has announced that in order to grow our economy and service our economy in finance, we have to be more open. Uh -huh. And Japan is a, a great example for that. Um, you know, getting back to Japan, um, you're taking a lot of steps to try to like you said, um, make it take a substantial shock to the system to try to turn around your markets. Are you optimistic that this is going to work? And, and so what's the time frame of, of how this may play out? I think it, it is a uh, quite a big challenge for us because in uh, you know, turn around uh, the market, um, uh, trading you know, volume is not the easy thing to do because you know, there are so many uh, similar kind of markets existing around uh, Japan. But at the same time, if we um, take advantage of all the resources we have in the JPX group, like uh, um, uh, creating house or uh, regulation, or in our customers' base we have all over the world, I think you know, we can make it happen. So, uh, well, you know, uh, at least at the first stage, we'd like to invite all the financial players to come in. And then after that, all other uh, commercial players um, will come in, and then we will have a, a kind of a synergetic um, uh, effect out of it through the financial players with the commercial players kind of things. And it, but it takes at least four or five years, hmm. I think. But you know, it's much better than well, well, it used to, to be. To close things out, I always like to find out a little bit more about my guests and what they love. And you mentioned golf. Yeah. So, what is the best golf course that you've played in your career? And is there one golf course that's on your bucket list that you'd like to play before you, you stop playing golf? So what, what would be those two? Well, in US, uh, you know, I played many places like Olympics, uh, you know, or um, uh, like uh, Snickok Hills. Mm. And both of them are fantastic courses. And in Europe, I played many kind, many different kind of courses, including all the the open courses. Like uh, there are nine courses for the open, and I played every course. And also St. Andrews, I suppose. Uh, yeah, oh, St. Yeah. Andrews, uh, Turnberry. Now it's yeah. the Trumps, yeah, um, yeah. Trump, President Trumps, uh, and also other, you know, um, uh, Royal Barkdale. I mean Royal. Uh, Liverpool, yeah, those kind of stuff. Then, so it's very difficult for me to say one best golf course, but um, I think um, 
the most fascinating was the synagogue hills. <laughs> the reason is that it's almost impossible for the amateur golfers to play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a good, good, it's good hard. score. Yeah. yeah, it's very hard. Um, yeah. so, you know, um, those uh, links courses. Uh, I think if it is not windy, okay, it's very rare. By the way, once once every month or something like that. If it is not so windy, it's you know it, it's playable. It's playable, but if it it is windy, it's impossible to play. But you know, if it is not windy, you can play yeah. your your golf. But uh, Sneko Kiss was very difficult course. I think it's almost impossible to have a uh, so most difficult course. I should say. I mean, based upon the conditions, it's different. But uh, yeah, yeah Sneko Kiss is one of them. And is there one course that you want to play that you haven't played yet? <laughs> Ah, so Have you Augusta. played Pebble Beach or Augusta? No, Augusta, or? yeah. Augusta. Augusta, yeah. yeah. I had, I had a chance to play in Augusta twice, and both times I couldn't make it because of the business reasons. So you know. Well, hopefully your shareholders are listening to this <laughs> this podcast. So, well, thank you very much for being here today. You're a great leader and, and representative of, of the Japanese exchange community. So we, we appreciate you being here, Yamaji-san. Yeah, thank you very much, Walt. Yeah. And we'll keep in touch. We'll enjoy the, uh, this uh, IDX. Absolutely. FIA Speaks is brought to you by the staff of the FIA. Steve Adamski is our executive producer. Cameron Lane is our technical producer, with additional technical support from Craig Richardson. We welcome your feedback on these podcasts at fiaspeaks at fia.org. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide investment, tax, business, legal or professional advice to any individual or entity. Unless specifically stated otherwise, neither FIA nor its members endorse, approve, recommend or certify any information, opinion, product, process, service, individual or entity presented or mentioned in this podcast. FIA makes no representations, warranties or guarantees as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the podcast's content. Reliance on the podcast content is done at your own risk. FIA disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special of consequential damages arising out of any use of, reference to, reliance on or inability to use this podcast or its contents. Any commercial use, resale or redistribution of this podcast without the FIA's express written consent is prohibited. Copyright 2019 FIA. All rights reserved. For more information, visit FIA.org.